This month's podcasts are sponsored by Aubergine Legal. Do you sometimes worry that your business isn't meeting all its legal compliance requirements and wonder if you're ticking all the legal boxes? Are you losing sleep worrying about a piece of legislation that you may or may not be complying with? Perhaps you need some help with your client contracts or your data protection compliance. Or maybe you're worried that your website doesn't have the right documents or legal notices in the right place. Perhaps you have a brand that you want to protect with a trademark. How about if you could outsource it all and eliminate all of your worries? If so, then get in touch with Aubergine Legal, a friendly commercial legal consultancy offering practical and clear commercial legal advice without the overwhelming legal jargon, taking the worry away and helping you to protect your business and minimise your risks. Aubergine offers a free 30-minute consultation if you have any questions or want to find out if they can help. And you can access this link and book your free 30-minute call via the link in the show notes. Welcome to the Bring Your Product Ideas to Life podcast. Practical advice and inspiration to help you create and sell your own physical products. Here's your host, Vicky Weinberg. Hello, today I'm absolutely delighted to invite Amy Rabahu onto the podcast. Amy is the founder of the Retail Business Hub and Scale with Wholesale Academy. She's a retail business consultant and product strategist. Amy specializes in teaching productpreneurs building retail brands the strategic action steps to approach, pitch and sell products to retailers whilst empowering them with the knowledge of the big business skills they need to start, grow and scale a successful product brand. Now I have done episodes on wholesale before, however I wanted Amy to join me because as you can imagine everyone's approach to wholesale and to growing your business is different and yeah and I always like to get different opinions different advice and experiences so um, even if you've been wholesaling your products for a while or perhaps you're just starting on your wholesale journey or just thinking about it I really think there's a lot that you can take from this product and even if wholesale is something you've never considered I would still say this episode is definitely worth a listen so now I would love to introduce you to Amy. Hi, Amy. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Vicky. I'm so excited that we're doing this. <laughs> me too. So, can we please start with you giving an introduction to yourself, your business, and what you do? Of course. So I'm Amy Roberu. I'm a retail business consultant and a product strategist, and I specialise in teaching productpreneurs the action steps to approach, pitch, and sell into retailers. Amazing. So we're going to talk all about wholesale today. Um, and so the first question I've got for you, because I'm going to jump right in, Amy, is um, <laughs> why might someone consider wholesale for their product? Well, at some point, Vicky, um, every business will face the dilemma of how to scale. And well, one of the simplest way, of course, is to sell more product. And, um, you know, when businesses are thinking about the next stage, wholesale is one of those elements that can bring a lot more brand awareness um, to your product, to your brand. It brings more people in um, to your business and suddenly you're not shouldering um, the all the effort of customer acquisition by yourself. It also helps you in terms of getting economies of scale for your product business um, so that it brings your cost price down, your profits um, will also grow and hopefully your retail business will grow too. And of course, the key thing is to grow your sales. Some startups will build um, wholesale into their overall distribution strategy from the from the beginning and some will trade for two to three years and then decide right now is the time to build a wholesale channel and that's their next step there's no right or wrong 
Um, sometimes it depends entirely on circumstances, product supply capabilities, pricing, and many things like that. Brilliant, thank you. And that, that does make total sense. Sometimes I speak to people and they say, oh, I've got my products on Amazon or Etsy or my website or whatever. And then they say, oh, where else can I list them? And, and I often do say to people, well, actually, if you're kind of everywhere you need to be online, have you thought about actually getting well I know that I know that wholesale doesn't necessarily mean in shops it also might mean online but I think there's only as a small business there's only so many places you can place your products aren't there absolutely and I think third party you know marketplaces are great and of course when you get to that next stage of your business having a distribution um, channel which promotes wholesale is is definitely a great great way to grow your brand and grow your sales so you've mentioned that you know you might build this into your business right from the start or perhaps it might be something you consider two to three years down the line but how would you know I guess how would you know that you are retail ready or and I guess this is probably the same question what does it take to be retail ready so if you're planning to do it right from the start what what does that mean what do we have to have and and do before approaching retailers a really important question, Vicky, and I think first and foremost, you need a great product for retail. Some of what makes a great product for retail are a great brand, great packaging, marketing and pricing. Pricing being one of the crucial things and it has to be pricing that reflects your brand positioning in the market and your value proposition. Pricing your products right for retail is super, super crucial element of being retail ready. And there are three elements when you're wholesaling. Um, There are three elements to pricing, which I tend to teach. And one of them is pricing your products for retail pricing your products for wholesale and pricing your products for profit. It's such a big subject, actually, and I've dedicated uh, a whole module to this on my program, but it's such a big retail, it's such a big message. And not to forget, actually, you know, one of those things is um, some traction with your own retail sales as well. So some of those things are quite important elements to be in retail ready. The other thing is, um, commercials and I think you've got to remember that buyers they're creative people but they're also really commercial people so along with the art must come the science bit they tend to be looking for products that will ultimately generate revenue and profit for the company so you've got to ensure that you have the commercial elements nailed as well so that your proposition can show the retailers how your product will help grow their sales, grow their margin, and grow their market share. Actually, the last one is a metric that larger retailers are more obsessed with rather than independent retailers, but still an important element. Um, And again, showing traction in your own business is always a really good way to um, to show some of your commercials. So you can add things like sales figures, uh, whatever might be relevant for you and your business, um, number of stockists that you have already, or best-selling items, what your customers love, what they keep coming back to you for, customer reviews, any awards your product may have won, successful marketing or PR campaigns, all of that kind of thing um, makes a great product for retail and shows a retailer that you are, are ready because you are building your own brand awareness and making efforts in your marketing. That makes sense. Thank you. And there's quite a few things I'm going to ask more questions on if that's all right. Mm. And the first one is, um, and that all makes so much sense. Um, but I guess it's, 
a little bit harder if you know you're planning to use whole service your strategy right from the beginning so perhaps you don't have years or months of sales history um maybe it's a bit a little bit early you haven't maybe entered any awards you might be approaching your first retailers let's say what in that case can you do if you want to show that you understand the commercial aspects is what I mean I guess if you want to show a retailer okay this is what you know you're you're trying to obviously you're trying to sell your product to the retailer what kind of information would they be looking for for something that's brand new to the market well I think um I think one of the crucial things is understanding your brand positioning within the marketplace and I think uh, a lot of retail a lot of startups do this at the beginning and then tend to brush it under the carpet really um, really quickly and it's such a crucial part of your product business or any business really and knowing and understanding your brand positioning will you know everything else falls into place that comes after so you know your pricing will fall into place your branding your logo the color you paint your walls all those kind of things fall into place when you absolutely nail your brand positioning so if you're coming at it from a really strong angle you know your mission you know your purpose um, and you understand your brand positioning you'll understand who your customers are and when you are pitching to the retailers who have who, who have similar customers who have similar values to what your brand is promoting they will get you they will get that your brand is for them. And that's a really important part of understanding um, your, you know, understanding your brand positioning. That makes sense. Thank you. Um, so when we're talking about pitching to retailers, what else mm. needs to go into a pitch? Like how do we create a really compelling, successful pitch? Um, so I think some of the fundamental elements to creating a successful pitch really does lie in in your products and branding. Um, it's absolutely imperative, imperative to get your brand position in nail before you start pitching to retailers. Cause I think, you know, like I said, once you've done that, everything that comes after falls into place. Um, you know, when your customers understand you, they will know that, you know, you're, you're talking to them with your marketing messages. They are willing and able to pay for your products. And then when it comes to pitching to retailers, they will absolutely get you. So I think nailing that brand positioning, building awareness for your own brand as well, um, and having great products that are really wanted and needed by your customers are just some of those elements which will create a great brand and a product for retail. Um, and once you're clear in, once you're clear on all of those things, pitching becomes so much easier. That makes so much sense. And I think, you know, you, you've said this so many times, Amy, and I think you're right. I think having a great product is definitely the starting point. Um, and I'm really big on research and, you know, actually creating a product that your customers actually want and need. Um, and I guess that all comes down to it as well. If you can sort of prove that you've spoken to your customers, you understand what they want, and this is a product that people are ultimately going to buy. Yeah, and, and you know, and, and and not to forget, Vicky, as well, that you know, when you are sort of, you know, getting your product and brand ready for retail, I think, I think a lot of, I think a lot of creatives forget that actually you also need to your business needs to be retail ready as well, and and all of the sort of having a clear strategy and uh, a method methodological methodological approach to um, this new venture is is another element which I'm passionate about teaching because you know when you are in this creative bubble um, you sometimes find it hard to step out of it and 
you know, you're so in your comfort zone and you're running your business like you're running it. And when you think about this new channel, you do have to actually think about getting your business retail ready as well. And I think some brand founders don't actually think about what that means for their businesses and how they have to change things. Um, and they end up with this somewhat scattergun approach to read, you know, to wholesaling. So you've got to align things like your processes, your planning and finances with your goals to ensure that what you're doing is really sustainable. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you. And I know this is probably a huge question, but are there what are some of the things that, that businesses can be doing to sort of align themselves to be ready for retail? And I know we, we can just touch on sort of the highlights, as it were, because I know there's probably a yeah, lot. Yeah, I think when, when I talk about that, I do talk about, um, you know, the ability to A, be able to, um, you know, produce volume, uh, more volume than you're creating now. So, for example, if you're a handmade business, um, have you thought about how you're going to scale that to, you know, to, 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 to bigger volumes? It might not be that big if you're just doing independent retailers, but then, you know, it involves you making the product yourself. You've got to increase your capacity. Um, and, and, and how do you do that? And um, other things like, you know, if, if you are already working with factories, it's talking to your factories and um, planning production with them and almost part, you know, treating them like a partner in your business so that you can make this happen with their support, um, getting your finances ready, you know, all of those kind of things. So, you know, if you are pitching to big retailers, for example, um, you're more than likely to want to, you're more than likely to have to um, finance the order before you get paid so you know all of that kind of planning comes into it and, and just simple processes like um, logistical things as well so you know how you fulfill your orders those kind of things so yeah it, there really is this sort of background to getting your business retail ready as well um, as well as your products. That makes total sense because I can totally see that you could end up accidentally in a position where you maybe you land an order and then you find out actually your supplier doesn't have the capacity to perhaps produce yeah. the order or there's going to be a long lead time or I can definitely see you could sort of if you if you went about it the other way around you could definitely come across hurdles and I guess you'd feel much more confident going into retailers yeah and speaking to them if you know that actually you've got everything lined up so that if you walk away with an order great it can actually happen because yeah. I, I, I don't know how often that happens but I, I can definitely see that something that that could trip people up yeah absolutely and and it often does and and it's exactly that Vicky it's the confidence to be able to speak about your product speak about your supply um answer objections answer questions those are all the really key things that you need to know um it needs to be on the tip of your tongue you can't just um you know Set on particular on those kind of questions you can't say I'll come back to you later you can but you know really those are the sort of things that you're expected to know um so yeah the the, the more that you work with your factory your suppliers uh, the people that are producing your products your secondary suppliers your tertiary suppliers you've kind of got to have quite a lot under control particularly if there's a lot of components that make up your product thank you and I've got another question about pitching if it's okay which yeah. is what um, I'd love to know what it entails because in my mind it's um I don't know if you ever watched The Apprentice I used to years ago and you remember they would go into retailers and they'd have their product and they'd have their like board with their 
slides or whatever their presentation and they'd march into someone's room is that what pitching looks like nowadays or is it something completely different (laughs) do you know it can be different for different retailers but it's certain it certainly isn't um um going into dragon's den or an episode of the apprentice where you have to dress up like bunny rabbits or anything like that (laughs) i do find a lot of people do have that kind of feeling um in their heads about what pitching actually is um and i think you have to sort of think about pitching as a strategic approach um of the the story that you're going to tell the what you're going to uncover um and and it's it's the same as whether you know whether you're approaching Uh, retail buyers investors or even actually pitching on a show like Dragon's Den um, you've got to speak to sell and you know I think what brand founders really desire is that confidence to be able to speak in a way that sells that doesn't sound salesy but feels naturally and they just want to be empowered to be able to speak about their products and actually a lot of brand founders are great at speaking about their products um, when it comes to B2C sales, but when it comes to B2B sales, it definitely is a bit of a learning curve. Um, and, and I think it's just having those really simple, deep questions answered in your own head about, you know, what is your why? Because when, you know, when you talk about your why and your passion for your product, that evokes emotion. And even in B2B, you need a bit of emotion as well. Um, and, you know, having 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 those sort of commercial elements up your sleeve in your back pocket so that you can pull them out when you need them um but also just understanding what your product really does for customers um and so you know it pitching is a scary word but it's just having a conversation really I always think of it as just having a conversation that's really good and hopefully we've put some mind arrest there as well because I'm sure I wasn't the only one that was picturing that in my mind. <laughs> it um, is a scary word um, there's you know there's lots you can do but yeah uh, having some of those sort of conversational elements up your sleeve or your back pocket can really help just to not make it feel like a salesy pitch. Thank you and how would you even go about getting to the point where you're in a room pitching with someone I mean do all, have all pitches face-to-face nowadays or I'm assuming there's some sort of online element whether that's sending an email to request a pitch or I don't know whether these take place virtually now because obviously things are slightly different yeah you know since Covid how, do, how does that work? Yeah, I mean, look, when you're when you're approaching a retailer for the first time, it's likely to be on an email. But really, um, a meeting is likely is likely to be on on a Zoom, actually, um, or, or or it can be face to face if the retailer invites you in. So, and I always say to to, to people who are um, pitching on Zoom is the same principles apply. You know, get dressed, don't be in your pajamas, look straight into the camera and show your product. Don't just talk, actually show your product physically. And it's sort of harder, I think, to show your product um, over over Zoom. So uh, one of the things that I tend to advise um, brands is that you, you send a pack, like a sample pack in advance of the meeting. So they've got time to sort of touch and feel um, the product and understand what the product is about so that again they can ask the right questions um, so yeah no it's 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 very likely that it could be on a zoom meeting um, but it's also likely actually now that things have opened up and people are feeling a little bit more comfortable that it it, it can be face to face too so yeah we're, we're getting a bit of a mix at the moment when it comes to um, when it comes to pitching thank you 
So I'd like to move on slightly, if that's okay, and talk about, so if you're in a, you know, let's say that you're retail ready and you're going to approach some retailers, mm. how do you decide who, you know, who you approach first? Um, how does that work? I mean, do we need to start small and then approach the bigger retailers or or can we go straight to the, the supermarkets mm. and the big chains? That's a really interesting question, actually, because I think deciding who to approach first is quite a fundamental part of your building your wholesale strategy actually um, and lots of things lots of elements that we talked about before like your goals your financials has a big part to do with deciding who you go after first for example if you are very small handmade or you know a very small business you know with with small production runs or you might be worried about cash flow to fund large orders actually you might want to start small you may just want to start with independent shops and department stores and actually not everyone wants to go to big retailers even if cash flow isn't a problem because they decide that actually the their product is best placed in independent shops because of their values and ideals or their ideal customers. So you don't necessarily have to go, you know, I'm not always talking about big retailers when I work with clients. Um, you know, and if you're going for, for example, for um, independent department stores, then they generally like um, innovative new products which are not yet widely distributed. They're likely to be the, um, the, the first to jump onto something new or a new trend and they definitely want to be first to market with things so you know if if, if department stores independent department stores are, are on your list then you might want to approach them first so a strategic approach for example um, would, would be good but in, in all circumstances you have to consider the market positioning of the retailer uh, and yourself and understand what they're about and what motivates them so like a supermarket for example they'll want a great product um they won't mind if it's anywhere else actually they'll probably jump on it if it's somewhere else um and you know they'll be more interested in the commercial aspects for example the things that we talked about they're likely to have more of a trading mindset they will immediately be thinking about product placement volume sales cannibalization in their own category because they have a lot of lot of SKUs and how the product is likely to increase their sales or market share is going to be much more important to them um, than independent retailers. That makes sense. Thank you. And, and is there also an element of, because I, I don't know, but I'm wondering, is there also an element of how much control you have over things like how your product is marketed, how it's priced? Um, does that differ depending on the size of retailer that you go to or... or or not really yeah I mean uh, uh, marketing is a thing you know obviously we can't tell legally can't tell um uh, retailers how much to price their products for so you can recommend a retail price but you can't tell them to oh. price it for um you can't actually tell them that you want it priced you know at this price at this selling price oh, I wasn't um, actually aware of, that's really interesting because I wasn't actually aware of that so that's oh, okay that's definitely something to think about then, yeah because no, it definitely could be that you're selling your product on your website for one price but it's in boots as just an example I'm just putting a name out of my head yeah less potentially yeah absolutely you know so if you're selling your product for 20 quid and they decide to retail it for 19.99 there's nothing you can do about it <laughs> you know um there's absolutely nothing to do so there's something called competition law that prevents you from um 
asking a retailer to price it at a certain price, you know, retail price. So yeah, you could look that up. Your your um, listeners can look that up. I guess that does make sense because what you wouldn't want is, let's use the boots example, is for you to sell your product in at boots and say, well, you have to sell it at 18 pounds and then go to Holland and Barrett and say, mm-hmm. well, actually you can sell it at 16 pounds. Yeah. I suppose, is that what that's set up to prevent? Yes, it's, it's, it's just, yeah, exactly. So um, it, it's competition law. It's exactly what it sounds like. And it's to prevent, um, you know, uh, people clubbing together and deciding what they want to retail a product for. Uh, and you see the, exa- you know, with big brands, you see this example all the time. So Nike trainers, for example, you, you'll go on to, you'll Google them and you'll see them priced at different prices at different retail outlets. Um, and, and, and that's, and that's, and that's what it is really. You can, you, you, you can't tell anybody what to retail them the products out that's really interesting thank you i've learned something else new today yeah. <laughs> <laughs> every day's a learning day it is um i've never even thought about that that's really good to know well, it does make a lot of sense yeah um and i suppose as well when you're looking at retailers i guess there's also an element of are your customers shopping at that retailer because i can see that there might be an appeal of oh i'm stocked in selfridges or whatever yeah. it is but actually if that's not somewhere where your customers because you should I guess have an idea of who your ideal customers are and where they shop if they're not going to be there then I guess pitching to that particular retailer is is pointless yeah and I think a lot of people do um you know when when they're working with me I find one of the first realizations that they have uh because we talk about place placement of product a lot um and we go through this whole sort of uh learning curve of where you belong in the market and I think one of the realizations that um, one of the light bulb moments that clients tend to have is actually that retailer isn't for me Um, and and that's great it's great that you recognize that early on because you don't want to mislead yourself you don't want to build your high hopes up um, and believe that you can get into a certain retailer when actually it's not looking like it but actually this is so and that and that's the whole thing you know you, you should sort of start when you when you when you are doing wholesale build your distribution strategy um make it realistic and really understand your market positioning uh, is going to really help you to get out to the right retailers that makes a lot of sense thank you and uh, funnily enough I, I have the same thing with online channels sometimes I have someone come to me and they really want to get their products on Amazon and I have to say well actually yeah why because your customers are not there they're here or do you know what I mean yeah, yeah, yeah I think it's and it's such a useful thing to know I mean it's obviously sometimes not a nice thing to find out but I think it's genuinely so so useful because you can't be everywhere so you want to be in the places where your customers are and they're not everywhere yeah, absolutely really important so one, um, I guess it's kind of the final thing I'd love to talk about if that's okay Amy yeah. is pop-up shops Ooh. because I mean this is another way I guess it's not really wholesale but it's kind of another way of getting your shop your products into a physical space Mm. um, maybe trying out what they look like on a shelf Um, so I would love to talk about about those of you if that's okay yeah Um, let's start with um, well do you believe that businesses this is something businesses should consider and um, and and if so why yeah I absolutely do because I think that every business needs an offline strategy 
I think you can catapult your sales in so many ways. Um, it helps build your brand awareness quicker and you know within a community first. And we all know the power of face-to-face. -face. There's nothing like getting stuck into your community and really starting from the ground up, building your community of loyal followers and customers and connecting with them directly, because those are the ones that will be all over your social media and helping you to grow that too. Um, of course, it helps in acquiring new customers as well. Um, and we all know with being online businesses as well, that if you are just relying on digital channels or social media, you'll appreciate how hard it is bringing new potential customers into your world and then getting them to know, like, and trust your brand enough to then buy from you. Um, and this can be the one thing that costs you time, money and sanity. Uh, we all experience the pain of that on a daily basis as small businesses. So everyone, everyone needs a, an offline strategy as well. I totally believe that. Um, you know, it, it also helps you, and you touched on this point, um, gaining valuable feedback in a physical presence. There's nothing like it. Um, there's nothing more valuable than watching how customers interact with your product. Um, you know, you're able to watch their body language and listen to why they might, you know, what they might be saying to others um, that they might be shopping with. Um, the questions that they might ask you will underline what kind of objections that they might have with your product. Um, so it really, you can gain some really valuable insights and, and it, it will help you to then amend your offers um, strategically, you know, according, according to the sort of feedback that you're getting. Um, so yeah, of course, um, there's there's lots of benefits to that. So I, I totally, totally believe I love a pop-up shop. <laughs> I do um, as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, and you, you touched on this point as well. I think it really does help your case when you're pitching to retailers because it shows that you've been able to test your products in the physical space. You've learned from them. You've learned the valuable lessons. Um, that helps you nail your packaging, um, your product placement, you know, what your product looks like on shelves and all of that kind of thing than, than a pure play online brand. Thank you. I mean, yeah, I'm a big fan of pop-up shops as a customer, but also yeah. when I was selling years ago, yeah. when I was selling my own products, I found that, and I think this will work for some products more than others. My products tended to sell so well when people could actually pick them up and feel them. And I sell baby products and they were so, so soft. Um, and it's a hard thing to convey online, but when people could actually pick them up and touch them, um, yeah, I, I always sold out online shops. Yeah. And I think it was for that reason that you know people could actually see and there were some things I think are very hard you obviously you can convey a lot online yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's nothing quite like being able to you know you know what I mean pick something up and see the yeah. fabric and see the quality of it and us humans need to have that tactile experience with product, being able to physically touch and feel the products um, and experience your brand. There's nothing like it, um, despite, you know, lockdown in the last few years and a physical retail is still stronger. Um, and, and I don't think that that's never going to go away. No, and also pop up shops, I believe, I don't know if I, I don't have any data to sort of prove this, but I do feel like they have become more popular over the last few years where there were like empty retail units. I mean, I've even seen local to me quite a lot of them popping, literally popping up and then they pop down again. Um, so I, I can imagine they're not something that's going away either. No, I, I love, you know, in, in small towns, the way retail space is being used now for small businesses. I think it's great for them to be able to, you know, finally go into a retail space and have customers come to them and experience physical retail in that way. 
Um, so, you know, you find landlords are, are being more flexible and um, you're finding there's a lot more collaboration going on. So people are clubbing together to create kind of experiential retail, those kind of things. So, yeah, there's loads of opportunities. It's not just a, a pop up shop. It's it, it, it literally can you know go be, be so many different opportunities. There's so many different angles to it. Well, I'm sure you've convinced everyone, Amy. Well, not, I didn't need much convincing. But it's my favourite subject. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Because um, I do have another question, which is sure. um, if we have convinced people to, to go and try mm. out pop-up shop, I guess, how, how do you do it well? Because I think there's a difference between having your products in a shop and really taking advantage of the opportunity that that presents. So how would we do it? Really well, so we get the best out of it. Oh, I, I do love, I do love a pop. Honestly, Vicky, we can have a whole session on this, and actually, we probably should actually. Um, but if I was going to pick something to talk about, which I passionately believe will make or break a pop up, it would be around planning your product. So this comes down to planning your stand and what you're going to sell on the day, and you know you've got to consider that it's likely to be a small space. And you almost have to re-merchandise the space and make some really tough decisions about what you're going to take and what you're going to leave behind. So my top tip is always, and you hear me speaking about this a lot, is less is more. Don't try to take everything. Don't try to do everything. Otherwise, you'll end up looking like a bit of a jumble sale <laughs> and not the lovely brand that you are and you want to promote. Um, so, yeah, really think about your product, its placement and how you're going to display your product. Of course, I do caveat that a little because pop up shops are also a great place to shift stock, which isn't selling online. So don't hesitate to pull a little sale corner together and um, just make sure it's clearly labeled with clear signage and really think about your branding signage and display I think that's one of the key things that differentiates you from other stands your branding your signage and display um, because that's the thing that will attract customers to you um, over your comp competitive stands that makes so much sense thank you and I'm guessing that a lot of this that you've said also would apply if you were doing I don't know market stalls or other other events yeah um, so this is so valuable thank you it's this is really yeah, useful no, it totally to uh, you know. know any event that you're doing including trade shows actually um so really you know always think about your product and always think about its placement Thank you. And I guess for anyone, because I did an episode on trade shows a while back, and I guess if, you know, you're listening and you were thinking, oh, trade shows is something that I might like to try. It sounds like a pop up shop might be a nice way of sort of testing things out, working out, you know, what people like and how to display. And it could be really quite a nice entry point, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, it's a good, obviously, pop up shops tend to be more B2C, whereas trade shows are definitely uh, a B2B opportunity. Um, but again, you know, testing your products with customers in a physical space is definitely lots of value in that too. Thank you so much, Amy. Now, um, we could obviously talk about pop-up shops all morning, mm, but we won't. We um, but I might get you back for another episode just on that, because I think that would be so useful. And as yeah. I say, I do think that they, they're not, you know, they're not going away. And um, in fact, as I said, more, more seem to be popping up. Um, but instead, let's finish with your number one piece of advice for anyone wanting to sell their product into retailers. And you've shared such a lot, so I know this is going to be hard to distill, but um, what's your top tip for yeah, us? Yeah, my top 
top tip. Gosh, I should have shared lots, haven't we? Um, it would be really around approaching wholesale with some strategy behind what you're doing. And I, and I use the example, you know, when you're investing time, effort, money into any area of your business, no matter what it is, um, you don't usually do it without a strategy behind it. And I see lots of businesses dive into wholesale with a somewhat scattergun approach or they decide to suddenly book a stand at an industry trade show, which is a huge expense, by the way, and they simply cross their fingers and hope for the best. So my point is, I think I suppose my final point is that it's no good having a product that's retail ready when your business isn't retail ready. It's a scary thought. Um, I do see, and you suggested this as well, that businesses, if they don't do it the right way, they can start and fail quickly because they just don't have strategy in place with what comes next um, and you know when you have a strategy in place no matter what what you're doing you set goals you set goals for yourself you set goals for your business you have accountability and you're more likely to make it happen thank you so much Amy that's all been so useful thank you so much for your time you're very welcome and thank you so much Vicky for having me Oh, you're welcome. And I will link um, to your website in, in the show notes for the episode. So if anyone wants to hear more about you, what you do, about your course, they can go over and find you. Lovely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening right to the end of this episode. Do remember that you can get the full back catalogue and lots of free resources on my website, vickyweinberg.com. Please do remember to rate and review this episode if you've enjoyed it and also share it with a friend who you think might find it useful. Thank you again and see you next week. If you've been inspired to start a podcast in 2024, I really recommend my podcast host, Captivate. Captivate were my top pick when I started podcasting four years ago because of how easy it was for a complete novice like me to get started. I've stuck with them for the last four years because Captivate is still really simple to use. They keep adding great new features like the ability to share ads like these and they've just been really reliable. So when you're ready to start your own podcast, you can use the link in the show notes and get a free seven day trial with Captivate.